0: Alright, you know what time it is. Late Monday night. I'm sitting alone in my office, and we have a Patriots game to break down. Because that's what we do. Here at the Pats Interference Podcast, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. In this last game, man, we had 35 minutes of pretty good football. Back and forth, greatest coach of all time, best quarterback on the planet. Chiefs-Pats, yeah, sure, it ended up where we all thought it might. Including Vegas, though Vegas had some doubts. Uh, 27 to 17. Point spread started at 10 and a half, dropped down to eight. Ended, I don't know. No one cares at this point. But Patriots lose decisively to the Chiefs. As I wrote after this game, this loss should dispel any notion that the Patriots are heading towards anything other than a deep and necessary rebuild. That Pittsburgh game, uh, only 21 to 18, that inspired some folks to imagine maybe a five-game winning streak. Okay, okay, let's be nice. Maybe a four-game winning streak or winning four out of five and the Patriots ride this momentum into the new year, and Belichick stays, and the roster's not that bad, and yada, yada, yada. It's not gonna happen, okay? This was a manhandling by the Chiefs in at least two phases, their defense and their special teams, and the Patriots' defense, to their credit, uh, only held Patrick Mahomes to 305 yards, two touchdowns, got a little lucky in a couple picks, but had the turnovers nonetheless, and they were happy to tell you about it. Multiple defenders saying, I thought we did pretty good today, something you would never hear, earlier in the season or prior years when it's, well, we allowed 27 points and we have to do better than that. Because you know what, folks? They know who they are and what this team is and what the future holds, which is, as I said, a complete rebuild. So you know what? If you felt you had a good day at the office, no reason to give voice to it because this result has been the same one that they've endured basically all season. Now, what we are going to do here today is talk about Not so much the rebuild, and honestly, not a whole lot of Belichick future talk, though I will get to that in a second, because we've had a new report since I last addressed um, what is to come, or might not come, for Bill Belichick. We're going to do the good, the bad. We need to talk. It is after a loss. What would NFL film say? And then a long mailbag. Every single question that got asked of me on Twitter, at least those that I saw, I think we hit 12, 13. You will get an answer today. Um, But overall, hoping for a shorter episode, of course I say that, and we'll see how this goes. Now, on Belichick, it wasn't our last episode that I spoke about this. That was Five Patriots What Is with Brian Barrett. A lot of fun. Give it a listen if you have a minute. Uh, A lot of it still holds up. It was the episode before when I was here sitting in my office by myself talking to no one except for you. And what we discussed was Tommy Kern's report that the Crafts had decided after the Patriots lost in Germany, they would part ways with Bill Belichick. Now, I told you why I believed the report and why I thought you should believe the report. And this has nothing, 0.0, Animal House style, to do with the fact that I feel any kind of way about whether Bill Belichick should keep his job or not on a personal level. I will tell you, because that's what this podcast is about, what I think the Patriots should do in their best interest. But this is not me, aggrieved reporter, upset that Bill won't answer my questions. Look, I've got a lot more problems, bigger things to worry about than how Belichick Acts at the podium, which has no way surprised anyone, basically, since he got hired, let alone someone who talks to him multiple times on a weekly basis. Okay? He keeps his job. Great. If not, I'm going to learn and tell you a lot about the new one. Now, that being said, Ian Board of the NFL Network on Saturday reported the contrary to what Tommy Curran said that we discussed. And I told you I would believe because I also believe my eyeballs the last five years, Belichick's, uh, the last four years, excuse me, Belichick will have a sub 500 record. He will have zero playoff wins and one playoff appearance. Typically bad news for an NFL head coach. But Ian Rappaport said, over these upcoming five games, you know what? Bill Belichick might be able to keep his job because no firm conclusion, those are quotes, has been reached by the Crafts. And so, hey, they get positive momentum. They start to feel better. Maybe this thing turns around. Well, step one in that five-step plan to saving his job and finishing 7-10 and 10 has gone backwards because the Patriots obviously lost. Now, I would just say, for the reasons I just outlined, I don't believe the reasoning there. And I don't believe that folks like the Crafts, who have run good businesses and have watched a lot of football and been around a lot of successful football, would find any kind of results here, starting with the Kansas City game, meaningful in a way that would change what I just said. Okay? They're going on now five years without a playoff win. One playoff appearance in the last four A sub-500 record over that stretch. Michael Hurley, if you don't want to believe me, of uh, CBS Boston, WBZ, excuse me. Sorry, Mike. Outlined this in a way that's almost inarguable. Okay, The only exception to this rule of going four years without a playoff win is Mike Tomlin, who only happens to work for the franchise with the greatest patience in professional sports because they've had three head coaches in about a century. So if there was going to be another exception, absolutely, it would probably be Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time. But it seems flimsy to me to think that the Crafts haven't decided because these five games with Bailey's happy at quarterback, your best players injured, are really going to mean something when the Patriots have been eliminated from the playoffs. I think it's at least two weeks now. Okay, these are meaningless games to greater ends. Now, if you want to tell me that they have not decided for other reasons, his contract or they still believe in him, sure, I'd buy that. But I'm going to present that report to you, as I just did, with, of course, my commentary. That's what the podcast is for, because it ran contrary to something we talked about last time. We have a new report. We're going to talk about it. And honestly, if you're fatigued by all of this, I totally get it, because I am too. And that's where we're ending the segment right here. Okay, on to the game. So the Chiefs win 27-17, to but they found themselves in a three-point hole late in the first half. Why did they do that? Well, the good Hunter Henry, have yourself a game, sir, in addition to, God, a lot of punishment. Um, seven catches 66 yards in a touchdown Patriots offense opens over their first four drives with an 81% pass rate that folks is insane a four to one pass to run ratio Bill O'Brien a madman for that but It worked because the last pass on the fourth drive was Hunter Henry, 16-yard touchdown pass, a play-action fake on fourth and two that gave them the jolt, the energy, the proof of concept necessary for this offense to keep going, especially against a top 10 defense like the Chiefs. Now, why did they go so pass-heavy? Well, they understood the Chiefs are going to do what the Chiefs are going to do, which is blitz a lot, and against bad quarterbacks, load the box. And that's what they did. And what Bill O'Brien did to counter that, this again, part of the good was to give Bailey Zappi outlets, and he mixed them up. The most common outlets were pick routes into the flat, so you have a tight end leaking out of the flat or a running back, like we talked about Zeke Elliott's touchdown against Pittsburgh, and then uh, an in-cut coming from the receiver, or if it's the tight end, he might block, you know, pick, in quotes, the defender covering the running back. Either way, some friction in a flat route or a shallow cross. Over the middle, like we saw with DeMario Douglas, who picked up 16 yards before that face mask call at the end of the second drive. Devontae Parker also had a catch on a drag route. And DeMario Douglas had a slant, which he took a little bit too far at the end of the first drive. But you get the point. Easy access and easy outlets for Bailey Zappi versus pressure. Understanding he's going to get man coverage. He's going to get a blitz. He's going to face that pressure. And under pressure, Bailey's happy. very good. To start, he had 9-yard completion, 3-yard completion, 16-yard completion. We just talked about that. Sack, incompletion, 19 yards, 6 yards, and a sack. That was him for the first half. We'll get to the second half. Boy, we're going to get to second half, Bailey Zappi. Uh, Against the Blitz, incompletion, 20-yarder. was it under pressure. It was good protection. 3-yard, 16 yards, a penalty on DeMario Douglas. Incompletion, sack, 15 yards, and a 19-yarder. So, Bill O'Brien, in addition to the pick routes in the flat and the shallow crosses and slants over the middle, gave Bailey Zappi these max protection. So seven blockers, deep play action shots. They didn't hit many of them, but he did find Devontae Parker uh, on that 19-yarder that you know really sprung them. Again, proof of concept. You want to call momentum? Fine. I don't, but this was a good plan early. It was pass heavy. It prevented the Patriots from running into loaded boxes. Which Zeke Elliott did on the first play from scrimmage, and it was a two-yard loss. Aside from that, defensively, Christian Barmore still having a day. He's having. A, he's not even having a day. It's a. It's a month. It's two months. A sack, the hurry that led to Patrick Mahomes' first interception for Marte Mapu, two run stuffs, including one in the last five minutes, which goes in your tape as like, hey, what's your attitude? And this is this is a big part of. I don't say a big part. I can't speak for every single scout, but. Scouts that I've talked to will say, I want to see this guy's tape and blowouts. What's your effort level? What's your attitude? What's your give a shit level? And again, 10 points in the last five minutes is not down by 30 Okay, on the road to like Tulsa. But Christian Barmore got that second run stuff, just powering through Creed Humphrey, one of the best centers in the NFL. That's a guy who gives a shit. That's a guy who can wreck a game and has been the Patriots best defender. I'll just say it. For however long this day has been. Or whatever I just said. Two months. Two months. Easily for Christian Marble. Josh Uche. uh, Not in the conversation for Patriots best defender over the last two months. But. Welcome back Josh. Three hurries according to my charting. These were not. I would say high quality. Hurries. Some longer developing plays. But he affected Patrick Mahomes in a way that counts. And in a way that added up to more pressures for him. Than any other defender on the roster. Next, the bat. Okay, Uh, talking about pressure, offensive line. They allowed a 42.3% pressure rate. Again, it was a high blitz game from Kansas City. A lot of pressure, simulated pressure. But the other part about this offensive line that was missing Trent Brown and then lost Cole Strange was they didn't pick up a single first down rushing if you exclude Kevin Harris's 18-yard touchdown in the fourth quarter, which I I didn't know this embarrassingly uh, until maybe a couple of years ago. The touchdowns also count as first downs when you're... It doesn't make a ton of sense to me. But um, if you remove that touchdown, again, zero first downs for one of the most efficient rushing offenses in the league, got not a zip, zero against the Chiefs. And so between the pressure rate or that lack of success, just staying on schedule, running the ball, it's a bad day for an offensive line. Uh, two makes for a terrible day. Alex Austin. So he's a seventh-round rookie. Oregon State. Bounced around the league already. Got cut from the Texans practice squad last month. And the Patriots said, well, come on in. We got a spot for you on our 53-man roster. And Alex Austin was a healthy scratch to start. And then he was a starter on Sunday. That was partly because, or I would imagine entirely because, J.C. Jackson was unavailable for what has since been reported as mental health reasons. We wish the best to J.C. I think he deserves your empathy. He certainly has mine and whatever might be going on. He has his teammates' support. And we will leave it at that for what's been a a difficult time uh, for a player, you know, who's had a difficult season. Now when Alex Austin went in there again, that's a tough spot. again. Late round rookie, not a great pedigree coming out of Oregon state bounced around. Here he is. Well, he still had two penalties, including one that eliminated a takeaway, a fumble in the third, third quarter. And then he gave it the most catches out of any Patriots defender. So, There's the context. Those are the results. He still ends up in the bad category. Kyle Duggar. His failures were a little less obvious. Um, I haven't talked about this yet, but you deserve to know that the longest pass plays of the entire game, neither of them went to Travis Kelsey. Again, Travis Kelsey had five catches for 28 yards, but he was absolutely part of the reason that the Chiefs got a 48-yard screen to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in a 32-yard catch to Noah Gray on the first play from scrimmage. And... We'll come back to that. But in the meantime, that screen for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Kyle Duggar flew into the backfield like he had never seen a screen in his life. He also missed a tackle. He gave up some catches. This was not good tape from Kyle Duggar, a guy who we thought before the season, not only in the conversation for top three player in the Patriots defense, but top five on the roster, maybe the best player in this defense, contract year, all that stuff lining up, hasn't happened. This was bad, bad tape from him. Jonathan Jones, uh, again, just just tough day for the secondary. I mean, part of that's facing Patrick Mahomes. Right? Like we, we got to give credit to Mahomes, who played an outstanding game. Probably one of the best games you'll see for a guy who finishes with two picks. But Jonathan Jones was in coverage on the aforementioned 32-yarder to Noah Gray. First play from scrimmage. Should have dropped back deep. They were in cover three buzz. He had the deep third. Noah Gray got behind him, and that was that. He also gave up a 31-yarder to Justin Watson on a third down, where, again, just some just grade A, organic, grass fed, Mahomes magic. That's not Jonathan Jones' fault. But when you're in coverage on the two longest plays in the game, uh, not great. Now, we need to talk. <sighs> this goes to coaching. Um, let me start here. And this is more of a compliment to Andy Reid than it is a knock on Bill Belichick or Bill O'Brien, who again, we'll get to in a minute. But I mentioned the catches 32 yards to Noah Gray, 48 yards Green. Andy Reid understood, and these happened on the first two drives for Kansas City, that the number one bullet point on the Patriots' defensive game plan was to eliminate Travis Kelsey. Makes sense. Guys are going to the Hall of Fame. He's an all-pro. He's Patrick Mahomes' favorite target, leading receiver, all that stuff. So on that first play, as Noah Gray is running a corner route, flag route, seven route, whatever you want to call it, upfield, 45-degree angle towards the near sideline, Travis Kelsey aligned right next to him, just goes into the flat. So you have one short route, one deeper route. It's a high-low concept, very basic. And he knew, meaning Andy Reid, that Travis Kelsey was going to get extra attention. And he did in that flap, taking Kyle Duggar and Jonathan Jones with him. So that opened up the 32-yarder behind Travis Kelsey. Later, second drive, Travis Kelsey is aligned with Noah Gray again on the right side of the line of scrimmage. And after the snap, Travis Kelsey makes a sift block where... It was actually a fake block, but he runs behind the line of scrimmage like he's going to block the defender on the left side of the line of scrimmage. He goes from the right to the left after the ball is snapped behind like he's going to block. Meanwhile, the receiver runs an orbit motion, which is basically a half circle. You've seen him take off, kind of go behind the quarterback, loop around the backfield and go in the opposite direction. Sometimes they get the ball. Usually it's just a fake. Well, in this case, it was a fake who with Kelsey drew all of the attention from the Patriots' side. Again, the right of the Chiefs' offense, over to the left and that left Clyde Edwards Hilaire leaking out towards the right wide open acres of space and partly it was because Kyle Duggar triggered way too quickly but that's Andy Reed leveraging his best player as a decoy knowing Bill Belichick knowing as Belichick often does his opponents not even just from a oh they like to play cover one on third down or they go Tampa two and disguise it as like three whatever this was that's how he is and, and granted, it's not a secret how Bill Belichick likes to game plan defensively, but Andy Reid knows him for decades. And what else he did was had answers for when the Patriots wanted to bring pressure most. And their blitz rate against the Chiefs, 15%. I think it was the lowest of the season. I haven't gone back, but it's, it's, it's definitely bottom three. He had answers knowing that the Patriots' defense is currently constructed, even without Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez, is still best suited to defend third and longs. Because of the coverage design, the creativity, their ability to bring simulated pressures, and play people in different spots in the secondary. That's where the Patriots want to get you to, because that's how they want to play. And the way to get you to second, or excuse me, to get you to third and long is to win on second and medium, put you behind the chains, get you off schedule. So the Patriots brought virtually all of their pressure, not on third down, to get the ball out of Mahomes' hands. They did it on second and medium. And so Andy Reid knew that. And just like Bailey Zappi got these pick route throws into the flat or shallow in cuts over the middle or max protect play action shots from Bill O'Brien, Andy Reid gave Patrick Mahomes plenty of outs on second and medium when he knew the pressure was coming. One of the best examples was a catch from Travis Kelsey when I think for 11 yards converted second and nine in the fourth quarter with less than six minutes. I'm going to look this up. But the point being that it wasn't just scheming those big plays and then, oh, The single wing, (laughs) dusted off, brought back from the dead. Okay, the single wing is a a formation that's older than any of you listening, and at least older than two of you listening combined, all right? Certainly way older than me, despite my haircut. All right, so here it is, 11 yards. Travis Kelsey, second and nine, 547 left on the clock. Patriots bring a a, a simulated pressure. It's a read blitz, basically. Six guys go. The two that see the center turn towards their side or guard back out, because that means with the center guard turning towards them, their space to the opposite side. And that's where the other rushers as part of this six-man group go in, you drop out, and you know that that's how the defense works with being a blitz. It's not really technically a blitz by counting who's coming at the quarterback. Second to nine, Patrick Mahomes gets that out. It's another pick route into the flat. Miles Bryant gets picked up. Not his fault. There was a blocker there. Kelsey goes 11 yards. They get to run off more clock. Now, I said that was more of a compliment for the Chiefs. Teams get out-coached. It's even happened to Bill Belichick. The times that it has, we've documented what we need to talk about is Bill Belichick coaching in a way that virtually eliminated any chance for a comeback. And you might look, as ESPN did, at four minutes left, Patriots down 10 at their one yard line and say, well, they they don't have a chance. ESPN gave them 0.9%, sub 1%, 0.9%. And their, their win probability stuff, as you look at the evolving graph on ESPN.com, it gets a little aggressive for my taste. But in the next minute and a half, from the four-minute mark down to 224 of the fourth quarter, the Patriots ran two, two plays. How does that happen? Well, I asked Belichick about it after the game. Someone, someone, what if it wasn't me? And his answer was basically, yeah, we probably could have gone a little bit faster. Ezekiel Elliott thought so, because he said so in the locker room. And I don't care if you take a safety. I don't care if you throw a pick six. I don't care if there's just a forever low light to be run in every NFL stadium for the rest of time in a commercial break that everyone points and laughs at. Because you're already down 10. You need to get a score. If you lose by three scores, who cares? But you need to at least give your players a shot. If they're going to fight for 58 minutes when most people would have given them a 0.1% chance or 0.9% chance from the get-go, and they fought all that way, You deserve to say, hey, we got to hurry this up. Hey, we have to call a play to at least take a shot. You get sacked, you take a safety, whatever. Then even you're still down two scores as it is. It doesn't matter. But you at least need to make the push. If you're going to put in all those hundreds of hours of studying and practicing and preparing and all the demands that are put on these players this late in the season, everyone's banged up to give them a shot to win instead of lollygagging in those last couple of minutes. Anything I'm mad. I mean, just imagine being on that offense. Imagine huddling in all that time and just winding clock so the margin doesn't look as bad for the Patriots who have already accepted defeat. And again, I get it. And I know it's in the Patriots' best interest to lose. But that was inexcusable game management. You want to talk about we need to talk? That is what we need to talk about. And forget me. Forget forget this little podcast. Uh, How about anyone else on staff? How about anyone else in the locker room going, yeah, I might have screwed up a play. That was probably a bad play call. What the hell was this? Four minutes down to 224, and we only run two plays. It's not good enough. So, it used to be that the Patriots played their best football after Thanksgiving. Well, I'm here to tell you we don't have to wait for turkey and mashed potatoes and football for you to win and place your best bets of the year with FanDuel America's number one sportsbook because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150. Bucks with a single bet if the team that you pick wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, I'm telling you there's no better time than now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use. I do it all the time. There's a wide range of options too if you don't like betting options like the money line. That's for me. If it's not for you, go for point spreads, player props, over/unders and tons more. Just visit fanduel.com/boston and get your winning in the NFL season. No matter what the Patriots do, FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21-year-older and present Massachusetts. Hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that expires seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fandle.com. Gambling Helpline, MA.org. Call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. All right, what would NFL film say if they needed to talk? Um, Major hype for this game, right? Patriots feel good. You've just watched this little snippet in this fictitious hour-long documentary about the Patriots' ongoing season. We're after the Chargers game. I I said cameramen are quitting. (laughs) Voiceover guys are walking out. Um, You know, Patriots are excited after that Pittsburgh win. We get major hype for Bill Belichick versus Andy Reid. Patrick Mahomes, they really go into the archives, pull out a clip. You know, from the AFC championship game in January 2019, battle since then, how close it's been. And then you fast forward. Okay, we, we probably get Taylor, Taylor Swift once, twice, three times. Um, Chief strike first. Okay, single wing, Andy Reid pulling an old play and football historian Bill Belichick, but the Patriots with all their guts come back. This is NFL film speaking, obviously. Fourth down touchdown from Zappy to Henry, their connection. Respark from the Pittsburgh win, and that immediately translates on defense. Where that energy that Joel leads to an interception on the very next play from scrimmage. Marte Mapu ripping it away, momentum building. You see the stadium jumping, and they'll probably show the holding penalty that brought back a touchdown because, again, this is this is a documentary about the Patriots it's supposed to make you feel good, and what's been a largely terrible season. And so they force them to kick a field goal due to this penalty that's shown, and then the second half comes it's going to start with the zap interception. And then you see Mahomes get the touchdown and slowly fades or fast forwards. And we get to the end It's 27, 17. We skip what I just talked about. Um, there's at least one Taylor Swift pun though, right? One lyric, one mention something. And uh, that's what NFL films say about this. Okay. On the mailbag. What you really want to know, this is from everyone on Twitter, hit me up at underscore, underscore at underscore Andrew Callahan. If you have any questions, uh, we will get them in not next episode, but uh, Monday after this. So mailbag, Brett opens three open spots on the practice squad, a special teams unit. that stinks and a lot of holes for the future, any depth or future potential developmental guys out there to be had. First of all, Brett, I think you might be the only person on planet earth who wants the Patriots to acquire more special teamers, though. I understand the reasoning. They've been bottom five by DVOA basically since week two. Um, Look, they signed Matthew Wright, a veteran journeyman kicker, to their practice squad a couple of weeks ago. He might be back, given Chad Ryland missed badly on his first field goal attempt against the Chiefs. Aside from that, I, I, there's not much more you can do. I mean, they just signed Christian Ellis, um, who was waived by the Eagles last week, and he made a tackle, one of his two special teams tackles, along with Chris Board, who they gave a lot of guaranteed money to, and then actually committed the penalty Brennan Schooler was whistled for on the kickoff. So I, I think... Pouring any more resources, resources, excuse me, into special teams would be roster mismanagement. The fact that it's not yielded investment, obviously would, you know, you would think, hey, you got to turn it around, but it's just you're stealing from an offense that needs more help than the special teams does. As bad as it is, like you're not losing game because of the special teams. You're doing it because your offense just can't score enough points. So I, I would say probably not. Um, Ashley, hi, Andrew. The last two games, Zappi has looked good in the first half, but really bad in the second. What do you think is happening? Happy holidays, by the way. Happy holidays to you, Ashley. So we hit on this earlier. Um, Bailey's happy. Had a lot of easy access throws. The deeper ones were max protected. That's going to help. His play under pressure was also really strong. And that's something that I've tried to explain, but probably not well enough. Is not very sticky, meaning it's not predictive game to game or half to half. Okay, it's very rare you get a player like Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen, very consistently solid under pressure. And so what we've seen from Bailey Zappi is that he can hang in there for a little bit. And this is not to to say he's got any kind of shortcoming mentally or or with his bravery. It's just to say that when you have a bad quarterback, enough pressure is going to get to you and you're going to make a bad mistake. And so in the first half under pressure, again, you know, his completion percentage was over uh, 50. His average yards per attempt was over 8. His passer rating in the whole first half, to your point, larger point that you care about, was 118. Then that sunk to 8 in the second half, like his play under pressure, which these were those passes. Interception, sack, incompletion, 7-yard completion, 11-yard completion, incompletion, incompletion. And so, as Bailey Zappi went 4 of 12, he played more poorly under pressure. He had those easy access throws taken away. If you remember the throw to Hunter Henry in the right flat, fourth quarter, he catches the ball. He's hurt. He goes to the locker room. In the meantime, they overturn that catch into an incompletion. That was the same concept they've been running in the first half. So you're seeing teams like Pittsburgh a couple of weeks ago, and now the Chiefs start to drive on these plays, understanding there's no downfield threat. Okay. Where are they trying to attack us? They see the same thing and boom, go. So he's, not able to overcome his own shortcomings, defensive adjustments, and just the fact that backup quarterbacks like him are going to be inconsistent. So it, there is a stark line difference here, but there, there's not like a big magical explanation. It's just he's benefited from a couple good opening scripts. He's been cooler under pressure in the first half than the second half of games, and that's going to happen. And opposing defenses are smart. In The last couple of weeks, they backed off that pressure in early downs. And benefited from that adjustment. Okay. Uh, the other thing about this, too, just really quickly 19 yarder he had in the first half was a, a throw to Devontae Barker. He, he's kind of bailed flushed out of the pocket, right? Just chucks it up. That's an example of player under pressure that goes down as, as a completion. Like in my notes, I just rattled that off to you. It's a 19 yard completion. That's a 50-50 ball, kind of like Juju's, where you don't give all the credit to the quarterback. Like, he probably didn't earn that, and that's why it's not so sticky or predictive. And so he's been living on the edge. This is the best way to put it. This is the shortest way I should have put it. Um, the last two weeks under pressure. And you've seen, you know, that that coin come up heads or whatever he wants it to in the first half, okay, where it's 50-50, and then fall the other way and be tails in the second, where he loses and obviously so uh, does the offense. Okay. Uh, Jules, quote, do you think it's possible that Bill has a termination option in his contract to make him a free agent that he can exercise at the end of the season? Uh, I have no reason to think this, Jules. I have spoken to a couple agents who have thrown this out to me that, hey, are you sure, Callahan, that he doesn't have a no trade clause? To which I say, I do not. Because that contract is uh, as closely guarded as a secret as you will find in the league, maybe in pro sports. And so... The thing about the termination clause is, though, I don't believe it because I think it behooves him to have that contract run longer in the event that he does get fired or makes it messy enough where the crafts have to fire him. And I'm I'm not just talking with the losing. I'm talking, hey, we want to trade you. He has the clause that I mentioned. If he does, I don't know. And then stops that trade and then gets to cash out all the money that he would have been owed had he put the contract on. Like, it would behoove him to say, yeah, give me a 10-year contract because that's an extra by the rate that's been reported 250 million or something, because then he would get that um, whether he's traded or fired. And so I don't think there's a termination option as much as he may want his freedom. You know, you can get both. If you just kind of play it the right way. And I think he would be confident in his way to do that without having to hit the eject button. He would rather say, yeah, tack on as much money as you can. I'll get that. And then still find a way to get my way, whether that's staying, which I think he wants to do or uh, obviously leave. Like we just talked about Kenny V. Quote, based on how much his name has been swirling around with the local slash national media connecting him to the Patriots, how realistic do you think it is that Adam Peters could be the next GM in New England? Seems like it's slim to none, since San Francisco will probably promote him to GM. So Adam Peters, assistant GM in San Francisco under John Lynch, obviously works closely with Kyle Shanahan, who was a big say in personnel. Peters has been in front offices for over 20 years. I talked about him with Jeff Howe on an episode, this was at least six weeks ago. Um, So go back and listen to that. Jeff had tremendous information as a guy who covers the league at large about front office types, including Adam and other names you want to know. If you're thinking about who's the Patriots next GM going to be, listen to that episode and find him. As far as Adam Peters, he, without knowing anything personal about him, but just the way we discuss Adam Peters strikes me like Ben Johnson, who you heard me say, like he's getting paid by the mention on espn or podcasts like this because like if i needed to call a plumber i might just have to call ben johnson first because he's the guy with all the solutions and i'm an nfl writer covering a team that might need a head coach and you just have to bring up ben johnson we're contractually obligated adam peters has become popular in a way for good reason that i just think as you mentioned kenny it's very slim that he ends up in new england because he'll understand or his agent will that he has a lot of options and if he doesn't like the situation He can go back to the Niners, continue to bolster that resume, get more hype and love for the media, which inevitably reaches to ownership circles. And his stock only goes up because that 49ers team is not going anywhere. And if they win the Super Bowl, good for him. And so he'll have more suitors. He'll have more leverage in any kind of talks. If he doesn't want to live in Foxborough, Massachusetts, he doesn't have to. Um, The other part about this is I still think Gerard Mayo is the favorite to be the next head coach. And I think that could be, probably will be as soon as next year. If he doesn't have a relationship with Adam Peters, that's a big roadblock. Um, Not only for him, but I think for Kraft, who obviously is a huge supporter of Jordan Mayo. So that's the other part about this is Adam Peters will have a lot of options. And yeah, he was here for a cup of coffee. But beyond that, it's just hard to generate much of a case of why he would jump over to the Patriots, even though, of course, they have a ton of cap space and they'll have a lot of flexibility as far as building a roster. Granted, without a quarterback. Uh, Daniel, quote, it feels like this is a now oh, this is now a tank in progress. if that's true, doesn't that mean Bill Belichick is back next year? In my head, I'm expecting Belichick and Mac back next year. Daniel, I do not uh, want to be in your head. let me tell you, sir. Mac enters a quarterback competition with our first round pick and we will be in the exact same position we are now. tell me I'm wrong. Daniel, you're wrong, damn it. um that was that was strong. look they're they're not tanking. and I don't want to have an extended conversation about this frankly, because it doesn't deserve one. If you think Bill Belichick, man who will sacrifice anything at the altar of winning, and we have seen this, bending the rules, okay, concocting any kind of schemes, whatever it might be, you think he's going to lose on purpose as he chases Don Shula's all-time wins record, you don't know who you're watching or who you're listening to. And anyone who suggests that Bill Belichick is tanking and gets a locker room full of proud men, including the practice squad, you're talking upwards of 70 players and assistants who are on their ass day in and day out to practice and prepare and to study, it's not going to happen. You can tank in the NBA with smaller rosters or stars who have such an influence in the game. Oh, my ankle hurts. I'll sit this one out. It's not happening in the NFL. And it is not happening with Bill Belichick, proud Bill Belichick at the end. Okay? They are trying to win. And yeah, they gave away their chance with Two and a half minutes left, as I just detailed and railed on them about. But big picture, he has nothing to gain from this. He wants his record. He wants more history. And he wants to win because that's all he's known. That's what he loves most. That is why he goes in and starts preparing for Denver this week. And people that I talk to in the building, and you hear this from other reports, say, it's really no different. That's what the man knows. That's what the man loves. To do anything else would be, I'm sure, sacrilege to him. Moving on. Jordan, uh, quote, penalties have killed this team all year. They could have won yesterday if it wasn't for penalties in the red zone right before big turnovers. Who is to blame for all of these mistakes? The players are committing the penalties, but at a certain point, you need to look at coaching. Yes, you do. Um, There's an old phrase. This might be a Belichick-ism. Either you're coaching it or you're allowing it to happen, which is to say, either way as a coach, you are responsible for what the players do. And especially at the professional level, I think that's true, let alone... The Belichick is also the GM, as we all know, so he's in charge of the players that he's put on this team who are committing these penalties. And so, yes, there's a personal responsibility and accountability part of this. And you know what? Patriots are parted ways with players who make mistakes, like Ty Montgomery. His schedule freed up last week in a big way, okay? But when is this bad? This consistently, especially on special teams, you got to look at Cam Cord, who's been there since 2020. Joe Judge, who just came back into the picture, under the assistant head coach title, which is really just super special teams coordinator. So yeah, at a certain point you do need to look at coaching. I think we've reached out and we reached it a long time ago. Speaking of a long time, Lamar says quote, been a long time Pat's fan. It always seems like their internal view differs from how people see them externally. You are correct, sir. Given how the season is gone. Do you sense people in the organization are or in touch with reality and recognize how far they have to go to return to contention? So Look, it's hard to speak for all of them, right? I mean, it's hundreds of people in that organization from the locker room to the coaching staff, trainer, support staff, front office, all those different departments that fold into even just football operations. I know some are looking elsewhere. Heck, there was a coach who already left. Ross Douglas is now coaching at Syracuse. Um, There are others who I know are in contract years or coming up on a contract year in 2024. And... They're uncertain because Bill Belichick's job status is uncertain. So in that sense, they know this team is no good. You are Your record says you are. They are 3-11. That is bad. But I think they can also separate the offense, which has been poor, does not have a quarterback, has the worst receiving core in the league, from the defense that's largely done its job. I would say it's an above average defense. Like This is not top five. This is not top 10. But you're somewhere in the 11-15 to 15 range. And the special teams has been dog crap like bottom three all year can't kick field goals can't stop committing penalties Um, punting has been a little inconsistent and their coverage units have been as well so it depends on who you ask do they work on offense do they work on defense are they on special teams like i think they will have some what did you say touch with reality but overall there's no one in that building contrary to what a couple players might say at the podium that thinks they're a good team that's just been snake bitten like yeah they've been in a lot of close games but your point differential also highlights a team that should be 3-11. 3-11. It's not luck. It's not just injuries. It's the things you're doing actively to hurt yourselves. As we detailed a couple of weeks ago, look, the Steelers are no good. They're on their third quarterback. They're 7-7. and 7, But they're 7-7 and 7 with a similar schedule. Quarterback play, defensive talent, injury luck, and you're 3-11. Steelers are better than you. They're not very good. And I think anyone looking at this objectively, uh, which I get is the point. This is the question, would, would have to agree. Alright, uh, a few more here. Lawrence, uh, Andrew, is there more to these long, good game, basically, goodbyes from Bill Belichick than meets the eye? It's usually just a quick handshake. Fair question. We saw one uh, with Travis Kelsey, definitely here, Andy Reid. But Belichick's had long goodbyes with players he really respects for a long time. We saw it with Aaron Rodgers just last year. Uh, Pate Manning, plenty of times. There's Eric Mangini. Obviously kidding. Uh, and that's uh, that's just about it. Frank, my question is, why did no one ask Belichick why he even bothered calling timeouts when the Chiefs got the ball back? Which he did uh, after cutting the lead to 10. Then when the Pats got the ball back at their one, they ran twice and held up, virtually giving his team no chance of winning. I think I answered this, Frankie. Uh, But if you want to know, I I just, again, I think the situation and the roster talent to them, including Bill O'Brien, by the way, who's calling the plays in that moment. Though Belichick can override him and tell him how to manage the game. They, they were just ready to surrender. And I don't think that's good enough. I don't think it should be good enough for you. But that's what happened. Belichick did think they could have gone a little bit more quickly. But he watched the time tick off. Down to four seconds before that third down snap and did nothing. So if he thought it that strongly, he probably should have just called time Dave, quote, do you believe Kraft will conduct a real coaching search? Or is it automatically going to be Mayo? And will that be a waste of time for a few more years? Uh, and will he look outside the dying. Belichick tree for GM, yada, yada, yada. Again, my sense is still Mayo is the favorite, um, who Mayo works with is close with is going to go a long way to determining the offensive coordinator who it seems will still be Bill O'Brien as far as the GM, you know, that's a, that's a question mark. I would not rule out though, Elliot Wolf, who has been here now going on year four, given that he came up in green Bay under his dad, Ron Wolf, legendary GM and went to Cleveland for a year or two. And has since been in new England, the ability to blend all these systems, ideas, um, And that's someone who has been close to the top, handled a lot of duties, you know, speaking with agents of other players and and things that macro has not done, even though he's technically higher in the the pecking order, but they will conduct a coaching search. If they're settled on Mayo. No, I don't think it'll be real. Kind of like the Patriots were set on Bill O'Brien. So I can't guarantee that. I'm sorry. Trav, do you see the Patriots bringing in a kicker this off season, given Ryland struggles, or is he just making rookie mistakes? No, I mean, you know, rookie mistakes would be, you know, your routine. For I mean, speaking for a kicker, is not set in stone. You don't know exactly how you need to prepare or you're staying out late the night before. Like, th- that's the stuff you're talking about for rookie mistakes. But that's not Ryland. I mean, he is a professional. Having spoken to him myself, covered him when he was much younger, uh, speaking to guys in the locker room about him. Like, these are just bad misses. 12-17 uh, says it all. Excuse me, it might be 12-19. But either way, yes, I expect competition for him this offseason. Last one, Gary, ending on a positive note. Quote, what positional grouping has been the most pleasant surprise this season? It's a good question. (laughs) The answer cannot be, uh, have there been any? No, because I have one. It's defensive tackle. Uh, Devon Gatchau is playing the best football, I think, of his Patriots tenure. Christian Barmore, we already discussed. Dominant last couple of months. Even Lawrence Guy hanging in there in his mid 30s like this is a good group jeremiah farms jr had a hurry against the kansas city chiefs and that's something for a guy who has spent his entire career getting cut staying on the practice squad getting cut coming back it is now on the 53 man roster yes partly out of need but he's hanging in there now and credit to him because it wasn't too long ago he was on the offensive line he's made the switch and yeah i would say the defensive tackle group has been a special uh or what did you say pleasant surprise okay that'll just about do it a quick episode (laughs) goes now what are we at 42 and a half minutes uh longer with ads of course i've teased this upcoming episode a couple of times now we are going to have two special guests stories from the sideline stuff that spans years i'm talking middle of the dynasty to the end of the dynasty to more recently stories from the sideline what it's been like to be up close to these guys, which I told you from the locker room and from the podium and the coaches and conversation I've had off record. This is in the heat of battle. This is up close, tight games. How do they react? How do they act? What are you seeing down there that basically only teammates and coaches on that sideline would know with the exception of the guys coming up next episode. So, uh, thank you for listening again, any mailbag questions. Don't wait till Mondays, fire them away for me. And I will get to them next week. Patriots are at the Broncos on Christmas Eve night. Um, And uh, I don't know if it's going to be a good one, but I know we're going to watch. So until then, thank you for listening and we'll see you soon.